When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's Wednesday, the pot of tea is on the go and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties and to the football of its time. This is, of course, the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. Today, it's been 13 years since that bizarre Tim Cahill overhead kick against Chelsea that was one of the many reasons that the Premier League title race of 2008 was settled. We'll be looking at all the hallmarks of the 2008 Premier League title race today. Also in table never lies, we're staying in 2000, but this time we're going to die Bundesliga. But first, we've got to talk about Roma's previous title winners of 2001. Roma hadn't done much since the reign of Niels Liedholm and the goals of Roberto Pruzzo. Liedholm had won three Coppa Italias, they'd won Roma's second Scudetto in 1985 and taken Roma to their only Champions League final in 1984. Lidlholm would leave and, of course, Roma would continue that Swedish trend with Sven-Goran Eriksson. Sven, of course, a former UEFA Cup winner in his homeland of Gothenburg and he would win a Coppa Italia as he often did in Italy <laughs> and he often would win Cup titles wherever he went, really, apart from Man City. But Sven couldn't replicate the league title, finishing second in 1986, but fast forward 14 years, Sven was still in Rome. He was a Scudetto champion, but he was with Lazio, not Roma. 
and after Roma's failures in the 1991 UEFA Cup final and late exits, multiple late exits in the UEFA Cup and Cup Winners' Cup, Fabio Capella, a former Roma midfielder of his own, took the reins in 1999. They were the dark horses for the league title in 2000, but one win from a final 10 matches quashed their dreams of a league title, finishing 6th after 6 draws from the final 10 games. Vincenzo Montella had come in that season, he'd top scored and Capella opened the checkbook again for the 2000-2001 season, the sort of era where Serie A clubs was, were at the end of their big spending and Capello brought in Batty Gol from Fiorentini, brought in Walter Samuel from Boca Juniors, Jonathan Zabina came from Cagliari, Emerson from Leverkusen. 95 million euros was the outlay. They already had Vincent Candelar at left back, Hidoshi Nakata in midfield, Cafu and Alde, the experienced Brazilian defenders. You had Tomasi Del Vecchio. Roma had such a fantastic team. Of course, at the heart of it, as ever, was Francesco Totti, the captain at 24 years old. And halfway through his season, I believe he should have been a Ballon d'Or winner. He was part of the Euro. He was part of the Euro 2000 squad alongside three other Roma teammates. And Totti was one of the best players at the games. He won the the one man of the match performance at the final, which Italy, of course, lost to France. Probably the reason why he didn't win the Ballon d'Or that year. So let's go to 2000, 2001, and Roma. They were out of the Coppa Italia by September in the first round to Atalanta. Atalanta would play a big part in the title race come the end of the season where they would finish 7th. Roma were out in the UEFA Cup in the last 16 to Liverpool in February and by which point they led Juventus by 6 points in the league table. Juventus who had bottled the previous season losing the Serie A to, of course, Lazio. Juventus hadn't won the league since 1998 I believe. Roma would lose just one more game in this time. They would win. They would lose 3-1 in Florence thanks to a certain Enrico Chiesa. But by which point on April the 9th, they'd maintained that six-point gap over Juventus. And they'd dropped, they'd dropped points in six games before the April the 9th lost to Fiorentina. And did the same from April the 9th to June the 17th, so in ten games. But the Olimpico was their fortress. It was threatened, though, by Perugia, where an own goal saved a point in a 2-2 draw, the game after the Fiorentina loss. A Vincenzo Montella equaliser did likewise in the third from last game against AC Milan, but these dropped points as well as a 2-2 with Napoli in the penultimate game week on the 33rd match, as well as Juventus's 3-0 win in Vicenza meant that the title race was going down to the final day. Roma had Parma with fourth place sealed and thus Champions League sealed. So effectively Roma were playing a team who had nothing to play for but Parma. Probably by 2001 they were just coming off that great period with the likes of Buffon, Cannavaro, Turam, who would all leave for Juventus mainly. And Juventus had Atalanta, who we spoke of at home. Atalanta would go down to Juventus, Trezeguet putting them in front inside five minutes. And the rules at the time in the Serie A stated that if teams finished level, no matter what the head-to-head, no matter what the goal difference was, they would play off for the title or any place such as the relegation or UEFA Cup, Champions League spots, etc. Luckily, Roma didn't have much to worry about. Totti scored in the 19th minute, Vincenzo Montella doubled Roma's lead and Batigol scored in the 78th minute. The holy trinity, so to speak. Roma won 3-1 and Juve won 2, but it was Roma winning their third Scudetti after the wins in 1983, which we talked about, and 1942 as well. And after the 
bottling of the Serie A in 2000 from Juventus and into bottling it the season after, it was a relatively calm end to a Serie A season, probably a season where I was just getting into Galazzo on Channel 4 on a Sunday morning, Saturday morning. But with this talent, even though Roma did win their third Scudetto, did Roma underachieve? That is a question I'm going to ask you viewers. If you'd like to comment and ask, tell me your memories about Roma and in this Galazzo period at the turn of millennium, give me your memories. My memory, my first probably memory is their unstoppable team on Championship Manager 2001-2. Montella was absolutely ridiculous. I'd grown up to believe that Montella was probably the best player ever lived. Capello, the greatest manager ever lived because he was simply unbeatable and would always win the European Cup in the first season. Just play Championship Manager now. It's free online. Go get it. See who wins the Champions League in the first season. I bet you any money it's Roma or Manchester United or Arsenal. But in reality, Roma and Capello would never even play a Champions League knockout together. They'd lose in the dodgy last 16 group stages in 2002, first of all, to Barcelona and Liverpool, and then in 2003 to Valencia and Ajax in a group that also contained Arsenal. They'd finish second in both 2001-2 seasons and 2003-4 seasons, and in between sandwich was an 8th place and a Coppa Italia final. They'd lose that final to AC Milan in 2003. Milan, of course, were the European champions. And I think that is partly the reason why Roma, quote-unquote, underachieved. Because they had Milan, who were just... People use the term generational. They'd been at three Champions League finals in four years under Carlo Ancelotti, who'd gotten over his Juventus slump, where he was sacked quite quickly in that job. Milan got to finals in 03, 05, 07. You've got Juventus dominating until Calcio Poli. And then from... Calcio Poli into Milan had stepped in with Roberto Mancini so they were sort of born either too too early or too late Capello taking the job at the wrong time perhaps and if they were in the sort of late 90s where Juventus would sort of dominate in, in Europe but weren't always winning the league and Milan only just came back to the fore in the late 90s and early 2000s they could have really built something there but they still had the fantastic, like Batistuta and Cafu and Alde, all in the 30s by the time that they came into the league. A very competitive league at the time. And perhaps if they were a bit younger, you know, Totti could only do so much on his own. Probably one of their only players in the peak along alongside uh, Montella and the likes of Candelar and Tomasi. De Rossi would also come in towards the back end of this period, really, as a youngster. But unfortunately with Roma, it's probably the right players at the wrong time after this we'll be talking about very much the right players at the right time and perhaps one manager in the wrong place the wrong manager at the wrong place at the right time but first we've got this short break are you a massive football nerd like me do you like quizzes if you answered yes to the both of these then i'm pleased to tell you about teammates a sponsor of what if football and the naughty's nostalgia podcast Climb the divisions, win the cups, all by linking teammates. A spring chicken with no knowledge of when football didn't exist before 1992? Try the modern section. Too old and not up to date with your Mbappes or your Camavingas? Try vintage mode. It's a football quiz to suit everybody's needs. At teammates underscore app on Twitter, teammatesapp.co.uk for monthly quizzes and merch, and teammates on the app store. Look for the red and blue football, teammates. It really is a quiz like no other. Welcome back. So we've been to Italy. We're going to go to Germany, but sandwiched nicely in between. We're coming home to England. 
We're going to go do something a little bit different today. No generalities, no sweeping through history as we've just done with Roma. We're going to cherry pick results from what was, I believe, one of the most tantalising Premier League title races. One that I think now gets overlooked. So we're talking about the 2007-2008 Premier League season, which went down to the wire the final day of the season, with Chelsea and Manchester United both on 84 points going into the final day. Manchester United would ultimately win at Wigan, Chelsea dropping points at home to Bolton. Manchester United a few days later, completing the double over Chelsea with the Champions League in Moscow. But first, let's go to a day like today, 13 years ago, November the 11th, 2007. Arsenal and Manchester United were the main title rivals for Chelsea in this season and Chelsea were playing Everton at home. They needed three points desperately as they hadn't, they'd started the Premier League race quite well. Obviously a changing manager which we'll discuss later and Manchester United's early season slump being eviscerated and then hitting top form. Chelsea needed three points. Didier Drogba opened the scoring up but in one of the finest, most improvised bicycle kicks you've ever seen in your life, Tim Cale equalises 89 minutes. Chelsea won, Everton won, and those two points, perhaps, would have been the difference. So we're going to talk about those little intricacies, those little differences between Manchester United and Chelsea, and a little bit of Arsenal as well, as they led the Premier League for a surprisingly long amount of time in this season. So first, the early season's form, as we've discussed, was Chelsea's. United only had one win in four to start with, and that was the fourth game. They'd lost to Manchester City. Newly moneyed Manchester City, but not the money that we see today. A very different type of money. <laughs> Chelsea were undefeated, but that undefeated streak would end with a loss at Villa Park. Mourinho's penultimate Premier League match in his first stint at Chelsea. The next match after the September international break would be his final match. A nil-nil draw at home to Blackburn, that coupled with a draw... So Rosenborg, again at home, would be hashtag Mourinho out. He either left or he was sacked, but either way, he wasn't there for the following week's match, and the match was the biggest match of the season. Manchester United beat Chelsea 2-0 in what was Avram Grant's first game, little-known Avram Grant, who wouldn't last too long as Chelsea manager, nor would many others around this time. Carlos Tevez and Luis Sahar scoring the goals, which, when it comes down to it, is the most crucial result of the season in terms of the title race anyway. The following week, Chelsea draw 0-0 at home again, this time at home to fierce West London rivals Fulham, whilst Manchester United pick up a scrappy 1-0 win at St Andrews and Birmingham City with a typically astute Cristiano Ronaldo digging United out of a hole there. Arsenal would stay top throughout this and into November as they went toe-to-toe with Manchester United at home on the 3rd of November. 2-2 was the result there, whilst Chelsea made ground upon both with a win. You had the Everton result the following week after, and then 24th of November, November International's come and gone. Chelsea kick on from that draw, beat Derby, Derby of course, worst Premier League team statistically in history, whilst Manchester United pick up a surprising loss at the Reebok, the Macron, the University of Bolton Stadium at Bolton. There's no real to and fro until Grand Slam Sunday, Sky Sports' big new marketing tool. Manchester United get a late win at Anfield, Carlos Tevez scoring the goal there, whilst Chelsea lose at the Emirates, which puts Arsenal top on 40 points, United on 39, and Chelsea somewhere back in 34 with Liverpool, Manchester City, also around that little, little section there from 3rd to 5th. Boxing Day, nine-man Chelsea somehow contrived to draw four all at, Villa, at home to Villa, Chelsea at this point have dropped to fourth and were seven points behind Manchester United. The title race was looking to ebb away from them. But 
Manchester United lose from a winning position at Upton Park three days later, whilst Chelsea get a win at home to Newcastle. Six points was the difference now, with Arsenal topped by two points, and Arsenal would extend that lead. They'd go five points ahead on February the 10th, with Manchester United losing in a highly charged Manchester derby a couple of days after the 50th anniversary of the Munich air disaster, whilst Chelsea and Liverpool scrapped for a nil-nil draw. Chelsea and Manchester United have picked up draws against Spurs and Pompey the week before, whilst Chelsea would drop more points on the 19th of March, a month later, in a 4-4 instant classic, whilst Manchester United, on the same night, got a relatively quieter 2-0 win at home to Bolton. With Arsenal dropping points as well in between, Manchester United now had a three-point lead with just two months to play in the season. Chelsea creeping up behind Arsenal as well. So Man United had 70 points, Arsenal had 67 and Chelsea had 65. Four days later, Grand Slam Sunday too, of course, another Sky Sports extravaganza. Manchester United would beat Liverpool with help from Javier Mascherano's red card and the 3-0 win there. Chelsea would beat Arsenal, so Arsenal were now usurped. They were third. Chelsea had five points to make up from Manchester United. Luckily, two weeks later, the Riverside snow in April, of all places. Typical northeast weather, Manchester United drew two all at Middlesbrough, whilst Chelsea won at Manchester United. The gap was three points. However, Wigan would scupper Chelsea's hopes more than once in this season. Emil Heskey, late equaliser. They drew 1-1, whilst Owen Hargreaves' inch-perfect free kick the day after meant Manchester United beat Arsenal and opened up a five-point gap to Chelsea with four matches remaining and effectively killing Arsenal in the Premier League race, really. However, the next two match days, the momentum would swing to Chelsea. Manchester United drew up Blackburn, whilst Chelsea beat Everton, vanquishing those memories of that Tim Cahill bicycle kick. Then the following week, it was officially the biggest game of the season. Chelsea, Manchester United, Stamford Bridge. 81 points played 78 points. And then, after a late Michael Ballack penalty, won via the arm of Michael Carrick, Chelsea were beating Manchester United 2-1. 81 points played 81. The goal difference was now... The key indicator, plus 53 for Manchester United, plus 37 for Chelsea. Two games to go. United would open up the goal difference to plus 17 as they beat West Ham as Chelsea beat Newcastle at St James's Park. And then we went into the final day where the aforementioned wins took place. Manchester United beat Wigan. Dodgy refereeing decisions, perhaps, for United to win 2-0, uh, which Rafael Benitez would um, reference in his in his press conference little over six months later. Chelsea would drop points at home to Bolton, meaning Manchester United would win by two points. So, I've just taken you through the Premier League title race there. Is it one of the greatest title races ever? What memories do you have of the 2007-8 Premier League title race? Let me know in the comments section or at whatif underscore YouTube. Statistically, it's not because those two drop points for Chelsea on the final day meant that they would lose by two points. So, statistically, well, the closest title race ever anyway went obviously to 2011-2012, we'll discuss that in a second, but first let's go through the greatest title races ever, and probably the first greatest one was Blackburn's ascendancy in 1995, Manchester United bottling it at Upton Park whilst it looked as though Blackburn were bottling things at Anfield losing, Man United would draw at Upton Park, Andy Cole missing chance after chance after chance, Blackburn won the league title. The bottling then transferred from Manchester United to Newcastle, who lost a 12-point ground to Ferguson and, most notably, Eric Cantona in dragging Manchester United to a double-winning season again. Arsenal in 98 was enjoyable for the amazing run that they put together, but like the title wins in 2002, 
for Arsenal again they won it on the penultimate game of the season with crucial wins at Old Trafford in both instances 1-0 from the likes of Mark Overmars in 98 and Will Todd in 2002 Manchester United's win in 1999 went to the final day probably added spice because of the treble winning season and other such similar title races really went down to the wire 2007-2009 for United um, over Chelsea and Liverpool they went close but they were done similarly to Arsenal in 2002 they were done in the penultimate week of the season but ones that did go to the right to the final day, the three, probably one of the three exciting, all won by Manchester City, all had magical different reasons, era-defining reasons, really. The Aguero moment in 2012, coupled with the Vincent Company, Manchester City, Manchester Derby win in the third from last game, you got the Gerrard slip in 2014, opening up. Manchester City to win their second Premier League title of of course Chris Dambull as well a couple of days later and then the 2019 race which was probably probably the highest quality but not the most dramatic where Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp just went to and fro like combined near 200 points between them neither blinked neither side blinked incredible form and obviously Man City won out in the end and finally I'll save the best till last Spurs putting the pressure on in 2016 and 2017. But we'll skirt over that. We're going to be back with the Table Never Lies after this, where we're going to Das Bundesliga. And we're back. Welcome back to The Table Never Lies. And we're, we've been to Spain, we've been to Italy, we've been to England, of course. And now we're stopping off in 2000 to Germany. The penultimate top five league to cover. So today, as you can see, Hertha Berlin, on a day like today, 20 years ago, were the leaders of the Bundesliga. Obviously, Bayern Munich not too far behind. Hertha Berlin, though, were, on a t- were a team probably on the up. They were promoted from the uh, second tier in 1997, would qualify for the Champions League in 1999, probably when I first heard of them anyway. With my Champions League wall chart, I seem to remember they were in a group with Chelsea, maybe Rangers as well. There's so many things that I've forgotten about, but I remember that. It's amazing. But anyway, this weekend, Hertha Berlin would record their fourth loss out of 12, and eventually they'd drop off into fourth. And... This would be a Europa League, UEFA Cup spot at the time. They've never been back to the Champions League since, but a team that has, obviously, Bayern Munich. They'd won it in 2020, of course, earlier on this year. They'd won it in 2013 against German opposition, and they'd won it their fourth later on this season. They were gunning for a treble. They'd beaten the previous two winners in the knockout phase of the Champions League, Real Madrid and Manchester United. And they would win, of course, against Valencia on penalties. And their nearest challenges, for the Bundesliga at least, were Schalke. Schalke, who beat them home and away. But fortunately, Bayern Munich didn't have to settle for head-to-head, which they would lose, or goal difference, which was nailed by Inley close. As they limped over the line on the final day of the season, they drew at Hamburg while Schalke won at home at relegated Unterhaken, winning on the final day 5-3, but it didn't matter. The crucial match, though, for Bayern would be the third from last game, where an 87th minute winner from Roque Santa Cruz at Leverkusen won 1-0. Leverkusen, of course, were a fantastic team at this time. They would uh, 
claimed the final Champions League spot from Hertha Berlin and Freiburg at this time and would have an almost magical 2002, the anti-treble, which, spoiler, it's coming next week. At the wrong end of the table, already discussed, Unter Hacking would be relegated, Eintracht Frankfurt would be relegated and Bochum would be relegated. Unter Hacking have never returned, they're now in the third tier. Bochum would flip-flop from Bundesliga to Bundesliga Zwei. 2010 would be their final Bundesliga season, currently in Tier 2. Frankfurt would be back for a year in 2003-04, promoted at the first time of Askin and Bar, one season really. They've been back in the Bundesliga ever since, and won the Pokal a couple of years ago. Currently at the time of publication, those in the Tier 2 are Bochum and Hamburg. Hamburg who are on a very downward spiral at the minute, former European Cup winners, you know, been in the Champions League as um, as recently as 15 years ago, 10 years ago probably now, and still scrabbling around in the second tier of German football. We've got the Kaisers, the 1998 champions, Kaiserslautern in the third tier, 1860 Munich also in the third tier, Hansa Rostock in the third tier, all middling mid-table teams of this season, and recently relegated to the fourth tier, into the Regionalia, Energy Cottbus, who... As we see now, our 13th on a day 20 years ago and have fallen to the depths of German football where in England probably the equivalent is the likes of Bolton Wanderers, Bradford City, you know, these teams who drop like a stone from the top tier right to the pit of despair for a want of a better phrase. We'll be covering... France next week on The Table Never Lies as we continue our 2000s tour of European football. But first, as we end this show today, episode 17, we're going to look at another teaser before this short break. Hello, welcome back. This is a 2000s Trivial Teaser and a shout out to Scott Shaw who got the only person who got the correct answer last week. He was a centre midfielder. Stuart Pearce had managed him, so had Terry Venables. Stuart Pearce has also been his teammate. Stan Collymore, Pierre Van Hoydonk, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank and Henningberg were also some of his teammates. It was, of course, Norwegian legend Alfinger Haaland, Roy Keane's nemesis. <laughs> so today, we've got another teaser, of course, for you. Another central midfielder. Sam Allardyce and Chris Coleman have managed him. He's played alongside Nikola Zigic, Kevin Nolan, Ricardo Vazte, as well as Brian McBride and Nwankwo Kanu. A very eclectic mix there. Zigic, Nolan, Vazte, McBride, Kanu. Managers, Allardyce Coleman, a central midfielder. If you know the answer, if you think you know the answer... Leave a comment down below or tweet us at whatif underscore YouTube to join our Hall of Fame, so to speak. Next week, we'll be talking about, as previously stated, Leverkusen's anti-treble of 2002, the likes of Michael Ballack and Zeriberto in their peak. We'll be talking about, on this day, 11 years ago, France versus Ireland, where nothing controversial happened at all in a World Cup qualifier for South Africa in 2010. And speaking of France, the table never lies, will be en Francais, as we'll be going to Ligue 1 and the 2000-2001 season to round off our top five leagues in Europe 
tour of 2000. Elsewhere on the channel this week, we'll be discussing Euro 96, Manchester City, Maradona, Neymar, Cruyff, Europa League winners, and we've got a fantastic review of FIFA 2000, one of the best ever football games to ever be released. Don't at me. But my at is whatif underscore YouTube. We'll see you next week for episode 18. Give us a teaser answer. Let us know your memories of Roma, Manchester United, Chelsea in 2008 and the Bundesliga in the early 2000s. But until then, see there. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.